Welcome, one and all, to your Falcon and the Winter Soldier podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Welcome, Pete. Don't worry. I've decided not to kill you. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier podcast by Fantastic Geek for Episode 5, Truth. It's brought to you by Do-It-Yourself Shield Kits. Get your shield taken away. No worries. Make your own. Pete, in Marvel news and more, on the topic of Black Panther 2 and, more important things, the words of Mr. Ryan Coogler, two-time Oscar nominee, who in the last couple days wrote a guest column in Deadline. Uh, I read from that now. The fight for full enfranchisement is fundamental to the African-American struggle in this country and to this country's claim to functioning democracy. As an African-American and as a citizen, I oppose all attempts, explicit and otherwise, to shrink the electorate and reduce access to the ballot. I say this as I return to Georgia, a state that holds a special place in my heart. I lived in Atlanta for eight months while filming my last movie. I have long looked forward to returning, but... When I was informed of the passage of SB202 in the state and its ramifications for state workers, I was profoundly disappointed. Towards the end of his column, Kugler then goes on to say uh, about Black Panther, Our film is staying in Georgia. Additionally, I have made a personal commitment to raise awareness about ways to help overturn this harmful bill and continue to get educated on this matter from people on the ground. I will encourage everyone working with me to tap in with the local community directly affected by Senate Bill 202 and to leverage their influence and resources to aid in the fight for this particular and essential pillar of democracy. I will also be donating to Fair Fight Action. You can do the same at www.stopjimcrow2.com. Pete, those the words of Ryan Coogler and his entire guest column on Deadline is linked in our podcast description, and I would argue it is essential reading. And for him, I think he feels this is the way forward, the fight from within. You've had a lot of uh, businesses withdraw, all right? Most notably, you've had Major League Baseball pull out of the All-Star game in Atlanta. Uh, you've had Coca-Cola, a business uh, centered in Atlanta, uh, criticize this legislation. The fight is going to be different for people based on their perspective. And I think Kugler laying that out there, his connection to Georgia and uh, wanting to do that there. It's still bringing attention to the fight here I certainly was not sure what the best path forward was. My takeaway from reading this entire uh, article on Deadline, again, just an excerpt covered here, you know, following the lead of Ryan Coogler, Tyler Perry, and certainly Stacey Abrams, it's their lead, I would argue, that uh, that we could follow. And uh, wise words there, certainly from Mr. Coogler. Well, Matt, we got a drop coming up. Let's jump into this episode. A jack boot pounds a puddle as the figure of John Walker runs through an abandoned factory depot, replaying the murder 
of the flag smasher in his mind before ducking into a building where he is haunted by the advice of his fallen compatriot, Lamar Hoskins, and crouches over the shield. His first words, albeit to himself, you told me, uh, after reflecting, reflecting on his actions for a time, Bucky and Sam arrive. Uh, Walker says it's time for him to go to work. He suggests that uh, the duo, or at least one of them, sees a medic. Walker just had to do it. Sam here counsels patience. Explain what happened. Given your records, there may be an honorable way out. Sam also says that John must turn over the shield. Walker reflects, saying that that's what it's about and you don't want to do this. With that, the three of them fight. Uh, Bucky uses his arm, Sam using his jet and wings. Is this a better fight than Captain America, Bucky, and Iron Man in Civil War? Pete, I think think it'll take some time, some digestion. That might be the case. I would disagree only because I think we have a stronger connection to all of those characters there. It's interesting that Bucky's been in a three-way fight like this twice now. Um, We certainly don't have the attachment to Walker that we did to any of those characters, but highly reminiscent, of course, of the fight of Steve Rogers, Bucky, and Tony Stark here uh, between the choreography and the use of the shield here, trying to wrest it from Walker, uh, coupled with the aspect of why are we making him do this, Matt? Uh, And that he is Captain America. Uh, Ultimately ending, uh, despite a little bit of tension, what with Bucky getting thrown and his arm shorting out, uh, but Walker raising the shield a couple times for the for the death blow and held off. But uh, they use the arm and the thruster there to break his left arm. Uh, all three of them wind up on the floor. That shield still smeared with the blood, ultimately coming into Sam's possession, who tries to smear it off as we head to the title card. And the conclusion to that fight there where uh, where Bucky baseball bats John Walker into the shield. I mean, <laughs> quite a moment in and of itself. Uh, as you mentioned, Pete, the title card. And then later, we see that Carly's followers have been arrested. Not those top-tier ones, not the prospective super soldier followers, but kind of uh, a second tier, if you will. Sam notes that Carly has disappeared. With that, Torres arrives, jovially joking with Bucky, who is off to go take care of Zemo. Torres notes that Walker killing a foreign national has become an international incident. The big paycheck folks have taken jurisdiction of this, uh, which is sidelining Sam and uh, and Torres. Also, yikes, looks like those wings are toast. Um, Sam... His instinct is to go after Carly now. Uh, great phrase, you know, to go after her while she is under underground. Uh, and Torres says that there's nothing to do until there's something to do, which is a bit of uh, a bit of wisdom in and of itself. Ultimately, Sam taking the shield and walking, leaving those broken wings behind. Yeah, he can keep them, which is certainly 
thought for some theory stuff later on. In DC, a disgraced John F. Walker is ordered by a council to no longer act in any capacity as a representative of the U.S. or its military. He is stripped of his title and authority as Captain America, effective immediately as he walks in with his wife. Senator Beardo tells him he stands, uh, as he stands before them, uh, that the permission that Walker asks for to present more testimony uh, about the incident is denied uh they've considered everything only because of his previous exemplary military service is he recommending against court martial uh but walker thinks he doesn't understand the gravity and has misunderstood here uh and beardo tells him it's not a negotiation it's a mandate um but Walker, in his arrogance, is just asking to be heard, pounds the podium about their mandates. He's only done what they asked him to do, what they told him to do, what they trained him to be. And he did it, and he did it well. But the end result is that he's going to receive this other than honorable discharge. He will hold no rank uh, in retirement and receive no benefits. Um, his last word here that he is Captain America, but Senator Beardo turns him away with not anymore. Uh, and if he would continue this, he'd be threatened with life spent in a U.S. disciplinary barracks. So he walks out as he's told he should be considered extremely fortunate and that he should return the shield with expedience the inclusion of walker's line uh how he's lived his life according to their mandates their call their their training it's an interesting nuance that the show has included i think that we're at a point in the season we're at a point in the story where full condemnation of walker would be easy um I actually don't know if I put on my showrunner... Oh, pardon me, you can't call it that in Marvel. If I put on my head writer uh, hat here, or my producer hat, do I want to add this language, which in the real world is evocative of PTSD, evocative of, in particular, the Vietnam soldier, um, both of which are reasons to be sympathetic to the the boots-on-the-ground service member, Um Again, I'm not here to argue that it's the wrong message because keeping though you know keep, keeping in mind the the toll paid by uh, people in the military and so forth, that is that is certainly you know a, an important toll, an important job, and so forth. Including it here, I think takes a little zing away from making Walker the full-on villain that we can all agree, well, unless you're the New York Post, uh, most of us can agree is is the out-and-out villain. Um, again, Pete, I don't know what I'm arguing for in terms of, you know, if I have been brought back in time and given final decision because Kevin Feige is out sick that day and I can decide whether this line stays in the edit or not. Um, but it is interesting that in this scene where he's telling the bosses, you know, no, I must speak. And then he kind of walks out, 
without being dismissed, which I think in in other stories and other contexts would be, uh, you know, um, holding yourself in contempt of court and, you know, things of that sort, you know, it, it would be different in a different kind of story. Uh, but ultimately here, the decision, I think, to make Walker a little bit more sympathetic. Perhaps he was invoking his Fifth Amendment privilege? Um, could be, could be. I, I, I think ultimately we're talking about some serious issues here to step back for one moment. The scene is able to get away with a muddy governmental thing. You know, is this a, an army hearing? No. Is this a GRC hearing? Not if Captain America just represents America. You know, it's kind of like, who exactly is this? What exactly is this group? The answer is, it's government. You know, government. Um, ultimately, it's further muddied by the next scene, yet at the same time made strangely black and white. Um, true. And this, the scene, uh, Pete, I guess maybe on Reddit, there had been a sniff of this on Thursday or something. Um, or and, weeks ago or months ago. <laughs> specifically of Julia Louis-Dreyfus? Of an Emmy-winning actress. C- certainly, Pete, when there was the click-clack here, you know, Walker, just to set the scene, Walker outside the hearing, uh, pouting with his wife, uh, being reminded that he can visit Lamar's parents. With the click-clack of heels, the way it was shot, knowing that episode five had a new actor or an actor new to the MCU, but someone who was held in high esteem. Uh, I was not expecting to see uh, the, the unequal Julia Louis-Dreyfus uh, appear into the scene. Pete proof that some might say that new adventures of old Christine was, uh, w- was not the brightest point in her career. Pete, how many MCU uh, people has that show produced? The number is now all the way up to two. It is, and arguably keeping it in the family there with, uh, you know, Clark Gregg with Phil Coulson. Uh, but here, these boots, uh, though they walk, not made for walking, coming into focus as Valentina Allegra de Fontaine introduces herself. It's actually Contessa. Matt, I need to ask you at this point, are you still master of your domain? Um, uh, Pete, I always strive for it. The good news, too, is we can just call her Val. Uh, Val says she would have killed the bastard, too, but the committee, they might even agree, but they have things to protect. Uh, she says that Walker did the right thing in taking the serum. She gives Walker's lady a business card. Uh, the serum was the second best choice he ever made. Pete, I think a lot of people could then predict the next line, but only because when something is juicy and hitting the center of the bullseye at the same time. You just know it. Uh, first place, tied with marrying this firecracker of a lady, was picking up the phone when Val called. Uh, as for the shield, uh, she knows he doesn't have it. The government really doesn't own it either. Uh, she'll be in touch. And as she walks away, it is noted that on her card, there is nothing. So Pete, let me ask you this. Should we have, in a different reality, should we have expected to see Julia Louis-Dreyfus because she shows up in Black Widow? That's the new rumor. The, the yep. new old Christine, the new old rumor. <laughs> yeah, and, and whether or not this was... I mean, we've been told by Feige nothing has changed as a result of the COVID delays. Whether or not that's truly the case, we just don't know. 
so Valentina Allegra de Fontaine uh, is a Madame Hydra in the Marvel comics, also a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, number three at S.H.I.E.L.D., and an ex-lover of uh, Nick Fury. So, you know, the, the purple highlights in the hair, the glasses, clearly comic nods. Um, and, and what does this scene do? This provides a way forward for Walker that she literally wedges her way in between his wife and him. Uh, you know, the wife counseling to go to Lamar's family, uh, not to go there and lie like he will in a little bit, but to go there to, uh, you know, take one step at a time, move forward. And here the disclosure, yeah, the shield doesn't belong to the country. Um, oh, and I know you took the super serum, which others do not seem to know um, that it's going to provide a path forward. Does he become a Captain Hydra? Again, I, I think we're so dependent on the events of next week's episode, but uh, that she's going to be making a call to him at some point. Clearly uh, more uh, story tracks for the future and kind of unclear story tracks for the future i, I don't want to jump the recap here but i think look you go get julia louis dreyfus yeah. in my mind it's akin to getting samuel L. jackson back in 2008 uh where it's more than than this scene uh, also keeping an eye just on you know, will Samuel L. Jackson be in the same number of Marvel movies in the next 10 years than than he has in the last 10 years? Probably not. Um, could Julia Louis-Dreyfus be that person who now is going to tie things together in some capacity? I think that's a great prediction and one that uh, Vanity Fair had in their article headlined, Marvel has big plans for Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, this wasn't yeah. a one-off out of left field cameo. <laughs> what? Um, but it's it, it's just maybe this way, Pete. I know that it's like there's no official announcement for season two. The wide assumption is there's going to be a season two for this versus say a Wandavision that, uh, in the best sense possible, you know, it, it burned down the building on the way out in terms of its story conceit. Um, but it's like I don't quite know what to make with where she could show up next because even if she shows up in black widow for us next don't forget black widow is right after civil war so that's six years ago at this point in the mcu timeline so and you know the walker scene at the very end it's all it's all question marks but the best certainly the best question marks uh, possible back to this story though elsewhere Carly's group has gone back to the old GRC camp where they learned that that camp was shut down for hiding fugitives, you know, Carly's group. Carly is incensed, saying that the movement is ready and that it's time to act. Uh, then, Pete, take us to Sokovia, where uh, I know, if nothing else, in this scene, uh, some some digital ink was spilled about how this the, the effects in this scene changed from the very first time we saw it in one preview which occurred at some point in the last 18 months, I don't quite remember, uh, and the most recent time we saw this in a preview. Right, because they can't do that <laughs> without a time. This Sokovian family mini Rushmore 
memorial that Zemo stands in front of before very quickly it's revealed that Bucky is just off to the side. Uh, Zemo tells him he thought he'd be there sooner, uh, but that he's decided not to kill Bucky, which is interesting. Bucky brandishing a gun in his right hand, uh, of course, feigning his relief. The discussion turning to Carly that she's been radicalized beyond salvation, that Zemo warned Sam, but he did not listen. He's as stubborn as that Steve Rogers before him. Uh, but you, James, they literally programmed you to kill. You need to do what needs to be done here uh that carly has people everywhere it's the only way to make sure she cannot continue her mission and with that bucky tells him they're gonna do it their own way uh and then puts a gun to zemo's face here uh zemo who nods as the gun is put to his face the moment of tension coming to where Bucky clicks the gun and then lowers it, dropping the bullets here, the slow motion on to the floor of this monument. And suddenly the Dora Milaje pull up behind and it's time to escort Zemo to the raft. I think that my perception of this scene uh, was done a bit of a disservice uh, or, or maybe done a bit of a disservice by myself i think it it started to sound like i was blaming the scene but here's what i'm trying to say pete immediately i could i could note okay this is kind of the zemo exit stage right scene um could he come back next week i mean certainly it's possible but i think that in terms of the little zemo arc that we've had you know who can help us he's in prison break him out dance 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 now this is kind of the 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 get him back under control kind of kind of scene uh, I think that in that spirit of, you know, no, don't take him from us, some of the key points that you hit uh, were, were easily missed on first view for me. First and foremost being this idea that Carly is radicalized beyond redemption. And I think that that's an interesting, that's an interesting story seed because on the one hand, we want to say, no, there is good in everyone. I don't know that that's where next week's season finale ends up with Carly. Uh, I don't know that that's where this episode has ended up with Walker. Um, And then add to it, of course, this kind of interplay of can Zemo, in a weird way, can Zemo get the Winter Soldier to kill Zemo, thereby giving Zemo victory in proof that the Winter Soldier is still there? You know, there's that as a a subtext. Um, Ultimately, though, it's just a wonderful scene. And to have uh, Io say that, Zemo is going to be taken to the raft. I have to admit, Pete, I was a little surprised because, like, Wakandan security is going to show up to drop off Zemo at a prison different than the one in which he was assigned to by whatever the law was that, you know, the United Nations or the German uh, government or whatever it is, you know. It, it was like, okay, I guess that's that's it. Um, I.O., though, also suggesting that Bucky not visit Wakanda anytime soon. Pete, can I hope that maybe a, a later time soon might be maybe the Dora Milaje uh, show being made for Disney Plus, or <laughs> maybe just maybe Bucky shows up in Black Panther two, um, or but when Pete, he showed up and got a case to bring to Sam. 
there's that too before you go one more favor uh io and um unfortunately the favor largely uh handled off screen but uh certainly certainly setting up some 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 uh cosmically and i mean that metaphorically but some cosmically important story stuff for later in the episode and of course the, the greatest uh thirst what actually is it and we can't wait until next week to see right uh in terms of Zemo being taken to the raft, I think it's the acknowledgement by the story and the characters that, you know, he may not have powers, but this is a guy with a brain so dangerous he needs to be taken to the maximum security prison. I mean, what happened before? Albeit with Bucky's help, he slipped out of the prison he was in eight years. Um, that's not going to be as easy to do on the raft, but at the same time, you're putting him around powered criminals. <laughs> There's really no good place to put him. They're putting him in the, you know, submerging prison, moving prison. That's, uh, you know, the, the, the best place they could put him, which both for story and security, uh, and I doubt we're done with him at all to Baltimore, Matt, where, uh, Elijah, uh, Bradley is out in the street playing ball with a friend. When Sam walks down with the shield case in his hand, he's going to see, uh, Eli's grandfather. He's in the back, takes a deep breath before he goes to see, Isaiah, who is watering his plants and immediately asks if the shield is what he thinks it is, asks him to leave it covered. Those stars and stripes don't mean nothing good to him. Uh, Sam is a proxy here for the audience that he needs to understand what has happened to Isaiah and really all of the importance in terms of this, Matt, this scene outside preceding perhaps the realest conversation in the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And unfortunately, slash fortunately, timely, timeless, you know, critical. How about that? Regardless of, uh, regardless of where it fits in relation to our current events, uh, a critical, critical scene. Uh, Isaiah noting the red tails in World War II who fought so bravely then came home to crosses burning on their lawn. Uh, we get some dialogue here about Isaiah reflecting on his lady love who died before he got out. He was able to get her letters after the fact. Uh, we get some backstory as well that, uh, of course, he and his peers had been tested on with different versions of the uh, of the serum shades. I think Pete of the Henrietta Lacks uh, mm-hmm. testing situation. Um, some of his fellow soldiers uh, were sent on a mission, were captured. The brass was ready to bomb the POW camp in order to prevent, uh, presumably, the enemy from finding out about these experiments. Uh, Isaiah brought them back, but before too long, it was only him. He shows the scars on his side from the 30 years of testing. Um, ultimately, a nurse had him declared dead, took pity on him. Uh, all of this history, 
or, or hearing about all this history, Sam stresses that things are different. And Isaiah says that these times aren't that different. Isaiah's history was erased, and that's been the story for 500 years. And then Pete, with one episode to go, and with a certain predictable, uplifting conclusion next week, the show then doubles down. It puts quite a gauntlet down. And I don't know how uh, Malcolm Spellman and the writing staff is gonna is going to resolve this. Uh, I'm confident that they will. But this notion that uh, that they will never let a black, not they, the writing staff, of course, they, the establishment uh, inside the world of the MCU, will never let a black man be Captain America. And if they did, no self-respecting black man would ever want to be. Again, Pete, that is a statement that the show did not need to make if we're going to have a, you know, a leather, red, white, and blue spangled outfit with red goggles next week. And we say, yes, Sam Wilson, Captain America. They just made their job harder. But to circle back to what you said, Pete, they just made their job more real. Yeah, and I'm very interested to see how they can walk this line, how they can thread this needle. This is Sam's story from beginning to end. And the ease of, well, Steve gave him the shield, thereby that makes him Captain America. But the idea of earning the title. And Isaiah presents a roadblock via his personal experience his history and how his history so much mirrors the African-American experience that, you know, you can be part of the story, but you can never yourself be the story. And here to lay this out in the most sympathetic of terms, that this was a man who was a hero who went back to get captured uh, comrades who was put in jail because of that, who lost them because they had been experimented on, who was the only survivor, who lost his wife, who lost his world. No wonder he wouldn't want to be brought back into the spotlight, wouldn't want to be given the shield that means nothing to him. But Sam is a different person. And again, the need to understand. Sam as the proxy for us to need to know what Isaiah has gone through, but that doesn't necessarily make it Sam's experience. So we have the opportunity for the handoff, of course. He's in possession of the shield now, something that other people think walker still has which is going to add to the confusion when he shows up with the i hesitate to say sam's club shield because that makes it even more confusing the the do-it-yourself you know great value shield that he's making that as far as i could tell not vibranium uh but you know this moment that comes afterward where sam is outside the porch where he looks at the shield case where he calls his sister where he says he's coming home this having taken in the experience of isaiah and considering it that need to reflect to understand where can you head but home 
to Louisiana, the story goes. We see Sam and his nephews fixing the nets ahead of going out on the boat one last time, ahead of that boat being sold. Um, but the nephews say it can't be sold because it's so beat up. Uh, luckily, Sam is here since the government has benched him and there's not much that can be done. Uh, locally, Sarah has been helping people in the area, continuing the tradition set by their parents. Sam wonders if it isn't time to call in some favors and indeed time to fix the boat. We get a montage of Sam calling those neighbors and those people in the community. Later, plenty have shown up. Um, oh, somebody brought a new engine, but how are they going to get it off the truck? Bucky, out of the blue, super arms it off. Uh, Pete, he does also drop it a tad hard. Let's go easy here with the brand new engine, please. Um Bucky has brought something too. Uh, Pete, talk about visual narrative cleanliness. The truck cleared off, then Bucky putting this new thing on the truck, which is a case of decidedly Wakandan dis design. What is it? No, no, no. No time to open it now because miraculously, uh, which is to say by virtue of the story, the boat is spraying steam. That's the thing that's called, right, Pete? That's engine talk, right? Spraying steam. Um, some some sort of valve breaks. Absolutely. Welcome to the Car Talk podcast. Uh, make car go. Um, Bucky stops it with a wrench. Uh, he could have used the metal arm, but he doesn't always think of it immediately. He is, after all, right-handed. Uh, he considers the boat and says, uh, so this is it. Want, uh, want some help? Uh, we get the quick introduction of uh, Bucky to Sarah. We see that Sam is not particularly happy about that. <laughs> Um, but then, Pete, we get a montage of cleaning and fixing and stuff, and uh, it seems that there are some brighter days ahead. Yeah, between the planing and the prying that goes on, even a snow globe with an eagle or a falcon inside, working on the engine there, uh, Bucky uses his arm again to pry the uh the side of the boat that sam's uh stuck on there they have a little carly talk that she's doubling down but sam has joaquin that's torres of course working on finding her zemo has told bucky there's only one way to do it but with the wakandan case and a couple of brewskis uh bucky says he's got to get ready for his flight tomorrow He's got a hotel to stay at. That's when Sam invites him to just stay with him, but don't flirt with his sister or he will have Carlos cut him up and feed him to the fish. Quick mental tangent. What is airport security like for Bucky? He takes the arm off and then the uh, TSA worker, of which I have one in the family, so I kind of know how focused or not they are, um, looks at the thing and says... What? I don't know. I don't know if there's maybe special special diplomatic immunity or something. You, you flash your Avengers card. But I digress, Pete. That's why some scenes are just done off camera entirely. Um, we know Bucky got there just fine because he arrived. He can fly commercial the same as anybody else. Um, elsewhere, and a bit more seriously, at the home of Lamar's parents, Walker is trying to explain what happened adding the lie that the man he killed was the one that took Lamar's life. Uh, that gives Lamar's mother a sad sense of support, uh, perhaps even justice, the idea that the killer paid his price. Uh, it, was, it, it simply meant the world to Lamar to be Captain America's partner, um, which I think Pete, without the show overdoing it, 
we saw Lamar as as Walker's partner, as Walker's equal. Um, I I suspect almost certainly Walker did as well. Um, we also saw in uh, in that uh, T getting scene where you know not everyone saw Lamar as the equal. They saw him as the uh, the sidekick. Walker ultimately says that he's always there for the family, and then gets up to leave. I think that that's narrative. That's narratively what one does to wrap up a scene. But I couldn't help the iron. I couldn't help but note the irony that he says he's always going to be there, and that's his line to wrap up his visit with them. Like I'm always here. Goodbye. Um, and on the street, he uh, he notices a cap is back poster and and reflects on it. Apart from the subtext that the sister seems to eye Walker suspiciously. Um, the parents obviously caught up in the grief of losing a child and Walker, somebody they have personally had positive dealings with. But we come back to the words of the character himself that, you know, nobody knows how difficult it is to be Captain America. You never heard that out of Steve Rogers. Um, so that the word justice is used here when we know a man who had next to nothing to do with Lamar dying was killed, uh, you know, in retaliation when Carly was the killer. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wrong is what it is. And the Walker sells this lie now, could the scene have been written that, well, I killed him, but he wasn't the one uh, who did it. That only makes it more difficult. So for him to spin the lie here, to uh, maintain that he got the person that killed Lavar, and then to be confronted with the cap is back poster uh, outside, having been stripped of all of that now. Um, and the question about what he does next. With that, we cut to Sharon, who's talking to someone who was in an Algerian prison, uh, somebody who's male and has a French accent. Uh, Pete, I get it that the subtitles say that it's Batrock. Um, later, Batrock shows up. Lots of victory laps on social media that people figured out, uh, people saw in the subtitles and they figured it out, whatnot. Just to recap, Last time we saw Batrock, he was in trouble in Algeria, um, and he has a French accent, and he shows up later in the episode. I don't know that it's necessarily a Sherlock Holmes level of sleuthing to figure out that Sharon was talking to Batrock, um, and to do so with the subtitles, but but yeah. it is certainly of note. I will grant you that. It is certainly of note, um, particularly as she says that she can pay double this time. So, uh, oh man, Pete... You know, once again, uh, major shade here cast toward Sharon Carter. Yeah, and that if it weren't for her, he'd still be rotting away in that Algerian prison. Coupled with the fact, Matt, she is not on an iPhone. Oh, that's... Uh, is that, Pete, the biggest proof of all? It, it, uh, it Funny that that has now become a breadcrumb. <laughs> The device won phones 
an international terrorist on. And I mean, uh, I know that you're mostly serious, but not obviously saying that that's the only way to determine good versus bad in a TV show. I know that as far back as 24, there was like statistical analysis that the 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 good folks on 24 used Apple devices and the bad folks used uh, non-Apple devices and so forth. But uh, Well, Carly's in trouble then too. <laughs> in Louisiana, Bucky awakes uh, to the boys playing with the shield and Pete, our captain, Noel Gardner, had pointed out that he slept just fine on the couch, which of course is an upgrade from sleeping on the floor. Uh, Sam is already at work on the boat. Bucky is there to lend a metal hand. Hours later, they're up to their uh, elbows in grease and gears and whatnot as Sarah arrives, telling Sam that she told him the water pump was not the problem. Now, Pete, I don't need to explain to you or all of our listeners that that clearly was a water pump because, you know, we're we're guys and we know engines. And stay with the, duh, clearly it was a water pump. I just want to say, come on, show. We we knew it was a water pump because we're, we're, we're guys with uh, engines that fix get fixed by guys i didn't know it was a water pump uh and she doesn't come into the sky and tell him how to barrel roll so bye off so we are now throwing the shield into the tree here other trees have been lined with padding wait pete this Uh, is this is what we saw this is the first thing that we ever saw of the show super bowl commercial february 2019 2020 i don't even remember how when was it it was it was some age before all of this when we saw the shield getting thrown around and conversations and stuff and finally we're here we are we are um it feels weird to get there feels weird um sam says to uh to pick it up again uh and then bucky catches it to say that the uh shield has a complicated legacy is uh you know the the real underscoring of this scene and the interesting line from bucky that when steve told him what he was planning to do so steve had a conversation with bucky that he was going to give the shield to sam which takes away a little bit of the spontaneity of the scene in endgame but given the importance why wouldn't you have that conversation um that neither of them knew what it would feel like for a black man to be handed the shield and i think handed is a very interesting word to parse here given what we've had earlier in this episode with Isaiah and Sam. And now to have this conversation, really the whole point of it for um, Bucky to apologize to Sam for being angry at him earlier for what? For doing the right thing, for turning the shield over. Um, And even though Steve, as... I mean, do we want to say owner of the shield? Do you own it so much as you wield it? Uh, That he had chosen Sam and then Sam chose to hand it over to the government. This reminder from Val earlier in the episode does not belong to the government. Um, 
I really think, and and I'm going to spend some time when we discuss theories in the next segment, discussing how I think the path forward and cementing Sam uh, works in the next episode. But, you know, what do you do when you're in Delacroix with the shield? You know, you go out and play catch here, and it's the backdrop for this conversation. The way in which Sebastian Stan has Bucky um, kind of haltingly have that that statement about how it was uh, it, it was it was misunderstood the weight of a black man picking up the shield. I think that uh, I think I think it's a borderline genius moment there from Sebastian Stan in terms of sometimes sometimes starting these conversations as a white person it's not. It's not easy to start these conversations or be part of these conversations, but darn it, Bucky, don't shy away from what it is that you're trying to say here as you understand the world is different than you thought it was, as you understand different perspectives. Go ahead and have that conversation. Try. Start it. And and, and maybe it gets easier in time. Uh, maybe you'll learn more in time. Hopefully both. But I think it's a, that's a great acting moment. Again, who knows whether it was... Truly, Sebastian Stan inspired by the the angels of acting, or whether it's in the script or a director note, whatever it might be. But it's a great moment. Add to it, Pete. You referenced the uh, the information here that Steve had shared this decision with Bucky ahead of time. Um, I definitely recall there being debate shortly after Endgame came out as to you know what did Bucky know in this close up? Does that is that Sebastian Stan saying, yes, he knew, or he's sad he didn't get it, he's surprised, you know, and, and the consensus seemed to be he had a sense of knowing. I can't quite remember if the endgame commentary track addresses this. Uh, of course, this is right around the point where they also were discussing the time loop and main one timeline versus branch timeline, and the writers and the directors were disagreeing, uh, you know, congenially and so forth. But I think that it's this weird way where some of these movies or some of these moments get better as time goes on, as you fill in some of the gaps. Uh, I mean, my goodness, see the loss that Wanda had at the end of Endgame, and you go, "Okay, I guess she." I'd be sad too if my my special person was gone and wasn't coming back, and meanwhile, billions of other people's special people have come back. Boy, that's terrible. That's that's the loss of a loved one. You then look back and go, and that's the setup for an amazing nine-episode journey that that WandaVision would take us on. Same thing here. What is Bucky feeling? What is Bucky thinking? Now you're going to forever go back and rewatch Endgame and say, I know what Bucky's feeling. I know what Bucky's thinking. And it just took a handful of years to, not to fill in a bare spot, but they left a place where these, like I keep saying, these are real characters because they've been through all these iterations. These are real characters um, borderline real people in some kind of, you know, some kind of fictional sense. There's a real pause there that later you can just say, this is what it meant. Not it exists merely on the stage for 90 minutes and then it's, then it's gone forever. Who better than a 106 year old man who's experienced all of those years, all of the change, the turmoil that African-Americans have gone through when he's even been stateside uh, and and still not quite, you know, having had that experience that 
blacks go through. Um, and at the same time, somebody who's spent time in a fictional African nation uh, with such advanced technology where he received the ultimate empathy and sympathy to be cured as best as we can understand it from the terror that he's experienced. So Bucky's the best person, obviously, to have this conversation with Sam. Uh, Steve saw the value in Sam. Bucky sees it too. But even then, it's it's the Rubicon that only Sam can cross. And it's at this point in the story, again, ownership of the shield versus the right or nay the blessing to wield it is an important aspect and you know so we get what's going to happen in in the remaining scenes of this episode but how it's all going to come together next week that's really how you nail the landing well and speaking of presumably set up for next week we have dialogue that tells us that Bucky still has nightmares, which Bucky infers means he's still part Winter Soldier. Uh, Sam says that Bucky really, truly needs to make amends, not avenge, not catch baddies that the Winter Soldier empowered. But Bucky has to be of service to others. Someone in that book, ahem, we the audience know it's Yuri, needs closure from Bucky. Um... Yes, Carly won't quit, uh, and Bucky's going to be ready to help out when called. Uh, we get some levity here, not as a team, not, you know, that they are they are uh, professionals, they are co-workers, just a couple of guys, not friends. Pete, clearly the, uh, the advertising department went whole hog on this scene. I must confess, the one trailer for the season that took a slightly less serious tone and said, this is a action buddy cop comedy, um pulled a lot from this scene and based on more important discussions in this episode i don't know that it's buddy cop lethal weapon yuck a minute kind of moment but um with bucky leaving see you next time which is like literally next time <laughs> since next week is the season finale so next time is going to be is going to be for sure z the next time the big time i'm not saying pete the last time because i think another season is going to get announced like in two weeks but uh yeah next time is next week but this simpatico is important, and I, I think that you uh, cement it firmly here before we get the conversation that Sam needs to have with his sister, um, you know, painted by the sunlight on the water before we're going to paint over their legacy, the symbolism here on Overdrive, and she stops him at the last minute it was almost like needing to go to the willingness to do it uh before uh he doesn't he's learned that he can't win every fight um but this boat is their history um he also admits he used to think he could go out and change the world it's silly but when he looks in her eyes uh, he could tell that she always thought he was running away, but she tells him that's not the case, not running away from anything, and that she missed him so much. I mean, Matt, we need to be reminded here subtly 
that he had disappeared for five years, which is something you have to pause and remember. Both of these characters did. And whereas WandaVision brought us through Monica, the story of somebody who went away, somebody who experienced the loss of her mother uh, when she went away, never got to fully come to grips with that. And now these two characters returned into the complicated world that they have. Um, and Sarah, all this time, thinking she was never going to get Sam back. But she compliments her brother here that he's taken on both the fight out there and the fight at home. And is he really going to let Isaiah Bradley get in his head? And as important as Isaiah's story is, and it is important, it is the reflection of just one man. It is a reflection of just one man that stands for a whole lot of men and women. But at the same time, Sam is his own person. And if we're going to say that, well, no black man could ever wield the shield, then no black man's ever going to wield the shield. But we all know where this is headed. So how and the conditions under which Sam is going to do that are going to be the hopeful, aspirational ones that for his nephews, that for the future will understand that change is possible. Sometimes stories unfold the way they're supposed to. Um, it's This is a better scene to have had uh, some of the the blip and the returning and all of that that we that we now the knowledge that we now have having seen WandaVision first um, this scene which otherwise might be you know a little talky or all right let's get to the line at the end of the scene but it's kind of all right we spent enough character time when are we going to get to muscles fighting and that sort of thing it, it this is a scene that's better informed by WandaVision which which uh, ultimately has preceded it in release uh, add to it that the critical nature of this scene is that final line, Sam saying if he's not willing to keep fighting, then what was all the pain for? This notion of hope and this notion that you're fighting to be the difference maker and yeah, other people might have been successful, or pardon me, unsuccessful before you, but, you know, to still fight the fight and maybe this is the time that it will change. With that, we get to a montage of Sam training. Montage! Montage indeed. He's training with the shield. We see him getting better and better. He's running. He's jumping. He's stronger. He's faster. The The shield misses uh, become near catches or, or half catches. Ultimately, he does the flip. Uh, the twist Pete. the one really bad match what's the what's the term again where they drop the the stunt person in? Pete, I don't remember the term, but I know what you're talking about where you know as a stunt person, especially if you're if you're uh, wearing a wig, you move that wig around to cover your face. If you're not wearing a wig, then you do some sort of you know hand move to cover your face uh, as soon as possible so the camera doesn't catch the stunt person. I wonder if COVID affected their ability to redo that shot. But in the one you can clearly see the face is not Anthony Mackey. I I would agree maybe it's not 100% perfect. Uh, I think that you watch it at full speed. You're rocking and rolling to the montage. You're looking at the muscles, the, the throwing, the zipping around and whatnot. I think that it, I think that A, it plays and B, 
you kind of know it's not Anthony Mackie who's doing a quadruple twist turn and so on and so forth. You know, it's all it's all good at the end of the day. Just like Pete, I think people know they didn't actually drop Anthony Mackie in Algerian airspace and have him fly around uh, while helicopters I'm... exploded. Um, with that, we cut to Carly in a park. Could be anywhere, Pete. Um, <laughs> she says to her compatriot that uh, she's got some help. And it's Batrock who is ready to help. Uh, just like those subtitles said. Um, he's brought what she wants, and it is a case of weapons. Um, again, Pete, I won't tug at the thread of TSA and airport security and how's, how are people getting from spot to spot. They did because the story shows them there. Um, she says that she's ready to escalate. Uh, she uses her app to to digitally chirp at the, the many people there and assembled. It's a great Wait, moment. Where's the app putter, Matt? Uh, well, the app uh, puts her in New York, and if you didn't catch it in the app, in a minute we're going to get a, a shot of the uh, Empire State Building. I believe it was the Empire State Building or the Chrysler Building. Chrysler one of the two. Building. She's in Bryant Park. Yes, right behind the library, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't that where uh, the Ghostbusters walked after their uh, incident at the library, too? Um, regardless, she's going to make sure that the GRC vote does not happen. Um, having kind of chirped at everybody through the app, she then whistles at the people and scores of folks walk to her. She says, tonight we'll go to battle. And then again, as mentioned, Pete, if you didn't catch the Bryant Park reference or understand it, camera up to the Chrysler building, therein digitally represented as they sit in some shady patch in Georgia uh, to show that they're at, that the, in story-wise, they're in New York. On the TV, a female reporter uh, in New York, Matt uh, tells us the GRC is voting on this controversial patch act as Sam watches, you know, that legislation that would move upwards of 20 million refugees back to their countries of origin, gets a call from Torres, who takes him through the scanning of the pings in Europe. And earlier today, he got one from New York. Okay. Uh, Joaquin, I'll take it from there. Back to the aforementioned New York City, city where Senator Beardo, Matt, it's amazing how this guy gets around. He's in D.C., you know, giving Captain America the business. And now he's with this uh, Global Repatriation Council uh, saying that the right people will go along with this. They always do. The Indian representative, uh, she says that they have to consider the optics, but Beardo says they don't really need to bother with a vote. They got troops in place. They can make a call and have refugees move right away. There's an Asian woman who says that they shouldn't round them up like cattle, and the Indian representative reminds them they still don't have sufficient resources in the resettlement camps. And then Matt, shades of Hydra, one security guy who scans himself in, says to the other the mantra of the Flag Smashers, one world, one people, the lights go down and suddenly glow red, and that GRC knows they are in deep doo-doo. When I first watched this episode Friday in the wee hours of the morning, uh, this was a perfectly fine scene. I also I was watching it on my phone, which I'm sure is how, how 
everybody everybody who made the show, I'm sure they're glad it's a tiny little iPhone that was my first viewing. Um, watching this on the big TV a second time uh, to see the wide shot uh, of... Um, yes, certainly there's guards on the move, but I think at a certain point in the wide shot, there's also presumably... Um, aides to the politicos who are assembled starting to whisk them away or talk to them or move them somewhere else uh you know quite frankly shades of january 6th as well uh and and i had lost track of the astonishment with which the people behind the production said yeah there are events in the story that you know the story that was locked and wrapped and largely shot um before covid uh there are things in recent uh, news and political memory that that strike awfully close to home. I mean, my goodness, this is it, Pete. This is this is the bad, the baddies in the halls of power, and a bizarre experience to take that in as entertainment teaching a lesson. Entertainment that was made before, uh, before uh, the real lesson, the real incident. I mean, you know, whatever it is, it's just it's it's bizarre time and place thing. Uh, as we see that room, you know the lights go red, and they're they're entering lockdown on the on the meeting area again here in the the halls of power, and that there are people within those halls there to protect in on uh, the breach, which is an important aspect. But back to Sam who goes to the Wakandan case, the uh, little bar for his finger, red, puts it on there, scans and turns blue, opens the case at a perspective that we cannot see it. Uh, He can view what's in there, of course, and he takes a deep breath to put us into the credits before we get our first Falcon and the Winter Soldier post-credit scene. Indeed, I mean, we hear the sound of hammering and this, or, or maybe not this sound, but a sound of hammering last heard at the very, very end of Endgame. Uh, I think clearly not meant to be the same. That was more kind of an aspirational, the future is always being made. Um, but here we have Walker making his own metal shield, taking his medals of honor and welding them on. He's painting the pieces. Uh, and we get the kind of over-the-shoulder shot of the shield painted and in a recognizable form, but yet to be completely put together as we end the episode. What's in your notebook in this episode, Pete? Let's start with Val. Um, let's start with this real specific question I have for you, and I'm sure you'll be able to answer this. Uh, what's up with the completely black card and will it change at some point in some future episode, whether it's next (laughs) week or, uh, in June in Loki and Ms. Marvel in Hawkeye and who knows when the, the invisible ink there, uh, it was white on one side and black on the other. I noticed, um, which is interesting. For me, the question of her jurisdiction and, you know, to what point we're going to stick to the comic story that I laid out before that this is Madame Hydra. And then there's the complication of, but Matt, we had a Madame Hydra. I think that regardless of the fact that S.H.I.E.L.D., Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., 
um, covered the Hydra reveal in the first season and did kind of new Hydra and leftover Hydra. Um, the movies have done that a little bit too, you know, the remnants of Hydra coming back and so forth. I think that in Kevin Feige's MCU with TV and film all together and so forth, fine. Val has been Madame Hydra in the past. And again, regardless of the fact that there was perhaps the greatest Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. villain was uh, Madame Hydra of sorts. I don't think that's where we're headed here. I think they're going to use her differently. I really, really think that she is meant to be, um, quite frankly, the the um, Samuel L. Jackson for the next 10 or 15 years. Not that Samuel L. Jackson isn't going to continue um, in the near future, but uh, you know, all of us slow down as time goes on and so forth. <laughs> Although Samuel L. Jackson perhaps immune to that, seeing as how he, he works all the time in, in everything. But I digress. Um Val as the connector of things, uh, I think that's what we can keep an eye on for in the future. Kind of more as the cohesive thing and perhaps less as the reveal of Hydra is back in its second, third, fourth, fifth version. And I think the story moving forward will carve out where exactly she's been and what exactly she's all about. But just to make it clear agents of shield in the framework. So in an augmented reality did a Madam Hydra story. That's not the same as a real world story. And then you bring up the behind the scenes, uh, schism between, uh, Marvel TV and Marvel studios. And now back all together under, one big roof under Feige. So they can do this story. It doesn't ruin what happened before. It doesn't alter it. Uh, and again, that she's not named herself as Madam Hydra and that a mantle like Captain America that has been passed around. So it all checks out. Um, for me, the question now with Walker having taken the super soldier serum and the referencing of the Winter Soldier here, is there going to be some sort of Winter Soldierification of Walker under Val that she calls him, he picks up the phone, and she tells him who to go take out? The pushback against the council and I assume that was not the GRC in D.C. that Senator Beardo is on um, two councils as, you know, the, the ranking senator with a beard on this show. Um, that he can be disgraced there, go into the shadows, and they take this story dark, whether, uh, you know, he just becomes her private utensil or that of an organization you know the captain hydra storyline that they did in the comics uh it's interesting in that conversation before val shows up that walker says you know what do they think i'm going to do just disappear he has a wife he has things that tether him to the world 
yet at the end, what is it? You took away the shield, or Sam and Bucky took away the shield, so I'm going to make my own. Well, I, I agree with what you're saying. My only question is this. Uh, do we get Walker next week? Like, is this post credit scene, is this, um, is this set up for next week, or is this something being saved for the future? I can tell you definitively he's in next week's episode. Okay, then do we get Val in next week's episode? That I couldn't tell you. Uh, so I guess that gives... Uh, first of all, I think it's fitting to have Walker make it to the end. Yes, ultimately it is you know, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier going after Carly, but I think that we can see how the institution of Captain America has been problematic, to say the least. Uh, do we get Zemo next week? That I don't know. Um by checking the raft, I think that's in-world story code for you're done with him for now. Clearly, Daniel Brühl uh, has won people over with this character. You know, that to this point, the dancing meme has been the breakout Agatha all along moment, um, I think is important. And not knowing before stuff like that airs how exactly it's going to land. But they've they've put him over. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to service in the finale. And I think his would only add to it. Is that to say, you know, we don't get a, hey, he made it to the raft and he's there now. You know, does Walker get captured? And as somebody with the super serum... You know, does this get seen in public, his abilities and and wind up with him on the raft, I, I think could be a way to go um, back to Val just for a moment. You draw the connections, you draw the parallels between Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Julie, Julia Louis-Dreyfus here Um Obviously, she's a little bit younger. Uh, she's being introduced to this story. It's not a one-off. He was assembling a team. Is she assembling a team? Is she getting the Thunderbolts together? I think that's an option. The, the ultimate strength of the MCU and the thing that other connected universes don't do because I guess hard work is hard and requires patience is they put the time in to slowly build things. And part of slowly building a thing is if it wants to go in another direction because of something magical, like, Hey, I didn't think that these two would have chemistry and they do. So we're going to focus on that pair, not the other pair, you know, whatever it is. Um, the MCU kind of goes there and nothing is kind of too set in stone in terms of it must be, I mean, frankly, aside from, you know, Thanos being revealed at the end of the first Avengers movie, which I don't think was a, you know, in retrospect, was not a huge surprise. And even then, purple computer-made guy. Like, you know, it could be all sorts of options there. Could this be set up for Thunderbolts? Sure. If for some reason that starts to not come together, then she's the new Samuel L. Jackson as Sam L. starts to slow down a little bit in life. Um, 
maybe she's in everything. You know, maybe we're blown away by the fact that we're back kind of to the, you know, Coulson shows up in everything the first couple of years of the MCU. And surprise, surprise, there she is somehow in the Time Authority in Loki episode three. And we say, I don't get, so when is this? Well, how is this? You know, we still have yet to see Black Widow potentially at that point. Although maybe she shows up in a, Pete, wouldn't it be something if she shows up in Loki episode five or six, which will air uh, after um, Black Widow, asterisk Loki 105 comes out the same day as Black Widow. Um, but I digress. It does on your schedule, Matt. <laughs> well, when does it come out on your schedule, Pete? Maybe not. Well, what are do you, you mean? Gonna have, are you going to have that premiere access and drop a Loki episode the same day? Something tells me no. If you move the Mandalorian episode away from two mm. days prior to the rise of Skywalker, which was not available on your home platform. Something tells me you're not going to want to split your audience. You, you could certainly put them both out the same day. Do, do the double feature, man. Watch, watch one, watch the other. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how they do that. And it lengthens the run if they separate them. Um, first of all, I love this as a real world theory. I agree that having both of them drop on the same day for the exact same audience. I think that that's antithetical to what Disney plus has done. Like D Disney plus greatest success has been with all due respect to mighty ducks, game changers and John Stamos coaches, a basketball team, uh, show, uh, that's a separate show, by the way. Um, with all and due that respect, that is actually the name of the show. John <laughs> Stamos coaches a basketball team. Um, with due respect to those, you know, it's one important thing to see on a Friday. That's the the big thing that week. Um, Disney Plus is mixing things up a little bit next month with two bad Star Wars bad batches in a week. One is on May the fourth. One is on May the Friday or on on the Friday. Uh, that's after that, the six and or it seven, remains like to that. be seen too what their schedule will be going forward. Fourteen episode run. Do they throw you an hour a week, which would be two episodes? Because otherwise, they're going to overlap for a number of weeks with Loki. Um, I believe that when Disney Plus did a coming in May. Thing, I think they showed, with the exception of that first week that has the fourth and then the Friday, I think they then just showed Friday episodes for the, like, single, you know, like, episode three the following Friday, episode four, the and so forth. Um, it is interesting to think, I mean, we fe it feels like Disney Plus has been around for so long at this point because we've gone through, what, two seasons of Mandalorian and this and WandaVision and so forth. Exactly how they handle some of these things is still... Uh, is certainly still getting ironed out. Um, but again, well, then how about this, Pete, to bring it squarely back to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and to the character of Val. Um, if she's going to show up, maybe Loki episode six, which is definitely after Black Widow, that might be the way to go. Maybe Loki 105, they do what they did for uh, Mandalorian. Maybe that comes out on the Wednesday so that like, if you're only looking for Loki and not interested in Black Widow, well, then Loki is there on the Friday. Is Valerie the power broker? I think that's a very tempting theory, but with Sharon up to no good with Batroc, and I think there's just that, I think there's too much 
potential, Pete, I say it all the time, but that classic Marvel trope of the friend turned an enemy, I think we have more set up for um, Sharon to be the Madripoor-based power broker than Val, who just appeared. Now, that said, if we get some sort of fake out, like, we thought it was Sharon, but then secret scene at the end of next week where, you know, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus says... Ah, they thought it was Sharon Carter, but she was the fake, and I'm the real power broker. Ha ha ha. Uh, I won't be disappointed one bit. So what's it going to be like then, Matt, when you learn that Val is really Mephisto? Um, Pete, I would say it's a long time coming. We've known for the entire run of WandaVision that if you keep guessing Mephisto, one day you're going to be right. I hope that we are not uh, Steve Rogers at the end of Endgame old when we are right, but one day, one day, it will be Mephisto. Maybe that day is uh, is next Friday, uh, the 23rd. Does Mephisto get his own Disney Plus show? Um, oh, no, wait. They're all Mephisto shows, so... I just answered my own question. Yeah, I was going to say, my, my mind immediately went to the, um, the um, is it the elephant dream or something in, in no, not Pinocchio, uh, in Dumbo, where there's um, they're drunk or something and they're seeing hallucinations. Pete, that was the first, that was the first appearance of Mephisto, if we're going to do some sort of grand Disney theory, the way there's a grand Pixar theory where Boo is also the old woman from uh something else and so forth so it's been Mephisto all along Pete do you know who done pulled the trigger on Bambi's mother Mephisto Mephisto so speaking seriously now in terms of the shield and Sam becoming Captain America something that Isaiah says they'd never allow a black man to do and when you look at all the parts of the story and the reminder from Val here about the legal gray area that the shield doesn't belong to the government, thereby not uh, demanding that it would need to be turned over to them, nay, handed to a representative. Um, Sam, as the self-appointed representative, having handed it in, doing what he believed to be the right thing before thereby showing he's not a usurper, that he's not taking the law into his hands, having turned that over once uh, and learning the lesson through having done that. So let's evaluate what the shield is beyond the symbol with the star and the stripes, that this is a piece of metal from a fictional African country uh, that now an african-american man possesses that we've had even the dura milage handle it during this season has been a nod to what is to come so this is a reach back much like you know you think in the 1970s of the reawakening and re-examination of african identity um, in the wake of a landmark um, miniseries like Roots, that this has been vibranium, this has been of Africa all along, then really who would be the better choice than an African-American to wield it? 
And I think within kind of the comic book conceit of it all, add to it the fact that surely what's in that case are uh, wings for Falcon, um, whether they're all vibranium or powered by vibranium, whatever uh, suits the story best, um, then add to it, you know, metaphorically, the idea that this is this is an opportunity for Sam to connect to uh, to his roots, not as a Wakandan, of course, but as uh, as an African American, to, to connect to that African brotherhood and sisterhood. Um, I think it's it's right up the alley of the show where that's going to be. It'll be presented as such. Uh, I'm not here to say what too much is or too little is, but I think that there's the opportunity for us to say, for us to see the 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 bond between Wakanda and the Falcon and for us to perhaps have some dialogue, perhaps have more versus not, but to have some, some dialogue noting the connection and kind of a cultural connection there. And for the lesson to be on screen, uh, to me, it just, it just makes story sense in, in a way where the MCU continues to benefit from different iterations and different versions. And, and I certainly don't know, you know, every little last issue that the falcon has appeared in and you know where the wings have come from every time all the way back to the the 70s and so forth but for this mcu it makes sense to really strengthen those bonds um and it's kind of like one of those things where i think you know 50 years from now people are going to look back and say the falcon used to have wings that were like just an army experiment like no it just fits perfectly for it to be wakandan because of because of these issues that i think we are we are sensing will be the case next week pete the case of course matt uh how about torres he's got the old falcon wings he became falcon in the comics are they going down that road i don't think anytime soon now you know ask emily van camp how how long term sometimes can circle back i think that i don't know at what point in a normal first season production like this and let's not forget rare are the tv productions that are like this leaving COVID out of it for a moment in terms of you know super expensive and globe trotting and the like uh i mean honestly you're probably looking at off the top of my head game of thrones um to to a large degree star trek discovery although they haven't globe trotted uh near as much as let's say falcon and the winter soldier um and to a certain degree, WandaVision, although that was expensive, but their globetrotting was Atlanta and Hollywood. Um, my, my point being, this is a huge, huge production. I don't know what point you don't look too far down the road and just look at the problems that are ahead of you, then add to it the problems with this production because of COVID. Um, all of that is a long way to say, I don't know that we get Captain America who flies at the end of this episode and new falcon play you know uh, uh, new falcon in the role of torres i don't know that we get that at the end of this episode um could that be something that shows up in a season two once they're ready to properly think it through or a season three or five years down the line when we say torres is back just like emily van camp was away in all this time and so on and so forth i think it's another example of it's a possibility it's a route that the comics have taken it's an idea that maybe uh, your average writing room wouldn't have um, but because it's a story option from the comics, you kind of have that built in there. But I don't know that they're growing towards it. They just have it in reserve. 
is there an explicable way for Sharon to not be the power broker and thereby Mephisto? <sighs> well, leaving the Mephisto joke out of it, is there a way for her to not be the power broker? <sighs> Maybe? I mean, uh, Pete, help me review. How bad is the power broker? I know the power broker is feared, but how bad is the power broker? Was funding super soldier serum experimentation, uh, judge, jury, and executioner in Madripoor. Uh, people like Selby fed up to him. Uh, so fairly bad unless they're gonna retroactively uh it was a sting the whole time and we were keeping tabs on the bad people okay so the super soldier serum part yes funding the research it was not actionable or had not been put into place yet so i feel like with the power broker that's like uh possession but not distribution if you will um which is bad but not as bad as distribution um for the judge, jury, and executioner in Madripoor, could the story do some hand-waving and say, you know, well, it's it's all in the den of thieves. You know, like, we don't complain a whole lot when the Punisher blows away members of the hand because we say, bad guy blowing away worse guys. We kind of don't, you know, we don't say, therefore, Frank Castle, villain. I think here's another possibility, Tupi. I'm trying to, I'm trying to redeem... Um, Sharon Carter's uh, uh, legacy here in line with where she has been in the past. Here's another option. You're sitting around the, the, the writing room in Burbank at, you know, at the world headquarters of Walt Disney in the animation building, the story anima animation building where Marvel has its, uh, has its offices. And maybe the, you know, maybe it's Occam's razor. Maybe the simplest answer is, look, we know in a real world, why hasn't Sharon Carter been around? Because there really wasn't a whole lot of story for a character of her level, her power, her impact to have when we're, you know, now we're going to add the Wasp to Avengers and so on and so forth and and uh, and Thanos and the ring, you know, all of that stuff. There's no room for Sharon Carter. So where has she been for the last five, six years? The answer is going bad, period. She's the power broker, period. We're burning this character, whether she's killed at the end or jailed or whatever. We're not... We're not actually going to have her be the love interest of Steve Rogers, which might have been a plan back in, you know, 10 years ago. She's bad. The end. The explanation. Why hasn't she been around with the good guys? Because she's a bad gal. I feel like that's Pete, the path of least resistance. And then that we've come back to New York City. Who else is in New York that Bucky has unfinished business with? Um. Well, Pete, I wanted to say Spider-Man, but I know that that's not going to be happening clearly it's yuri i mean if there's anything in this episode that is not subtle you know there might be there might be 12 people in that book that need redemption but if you could just focus on one one guy who didn't do anything bad who you need to apologize to you know nobody who was like a congresswoman who was boosted up by the winter so just some guy whose heart is broken you know, Pete, this is where you can see the arc of a six-episode season, and you can see the virtue of write the whole thing before you go shoot it, or certainly have all the major pieces in place. Uh, unlike, you know, we learned in the last week that the first season of Star Trek Picard, they didn't have an ending fully nailed down when they started filming, and they're glad they can have an ending nailed down for season two before starting to film. Um, 
here you can clearly see they're circling the landing of Yuri. And you know what, Pete? It's going to hurt because he's a sweet old man whose innocent son is dead, has been dead, and was killed in cold blood by the most feared assassin in the MCU in the 20th century. One other thing I think important to point out, Matt Sharon Carter initially introduced to us as Agent 13, uh, Contessa Valerie de Fontaine, um, Agent 14. Um, yeah, I, I, again, do we stick to that comic origin or not? Um, it certainly could make for a fun... Look, maybe Sharon Carter is dead or in prison at the end of this season, but that doesn't mean that the next time you see Julia Louis-Dreyfus, it couldn't be a flashback scene with Sharon Carter in S.H.I.E.L.D. Academy or before the Hydra reveal or, you know, and on and on and on. Open your flip phones as we look at some feedback for this episode. We start with our traditional poll. Uh, how would you rate episode five? Uh, one star, Broken Wings, got 2.5%. Two stars, Moving Pieces, got 2.5%. Three stars, Good Setup, got 29.6%. And four stars, Modern Classic, got 65.4%. Uh, some tweets in response. Uh, first on the docket here, LMD Mary, that's at Geek Kirk. So, just saw someone point this out. Sam Wilson asked Zemo last week, what about Bucky, in regards to not allowing any super soldiers to exist? And this week, Zemo tells Buck, I decided to not kill you, which means he decided to make an exception to his rule. Um, to me, Pete, that makes sense, and that's also a story necessity, just in terms of, like, you know, Zemo's not going to kill Bucky, but I think that, I think it all tracks. I think the generalization of no super soldiers, no superheroes can live. And then I have gotten to know one and he's not so bad. And, you know, Sam also, he may not be Captain America, but he makes good decisions and, and choices. I, I think that's natural character growth. Uh, we heard from Mike Sorensen. That's at bad wolf underscore media. Fans need to make sure they're not complaining about episode lengths slash counts. This week's episode could easily have been split in two to up the episode count. Uh, credits after Bucky talks to uh, Ayo. New episode with Sam walking down the street. I looked at the time stamp and I wasn't quite correct, but they would have needed to add 10 or 15 minutes to flesh out the first half a bit. But as far as story beats, it would have been an ideal split. Uh, we heard from Hail Hydra, <laughs> coincidentally, uh, at uh, Hydra underscore lives. We finally, Pete, that's finally with, say it with me, a PH, uh, get to see Sam with the shield training montage, y'all. Plenty of comic book references I don't fully know, but I'm sure you will cover on your pod. What sort of double or triple cross is Sharon up to? Captain Murica is out. Captain, Captain Hydra now. <laughs> New recruits are always welcome, Pete says Hail Hydra. <laughs> Uh, we don't want him. <laughs> Hashtag not my Captain Hydra. Pete, somebody who's so bad that the head of the baddies won't receive him at Marla. I mean, at uh, at <laughs> Hydra headquarters. Um, that's saying something. Uh, we heard from James is sagacious. Uh, that's at Big Kellen on Twitter. An amazing episode on so many levels. Can't add much given the previous comments. Is sitting back on the is sitting on the back of a park bench another signal that you're up to no good? <laughs> um, it might be. That's Pete. Is that the new 
a-holes eat, eat an apple in the movie using a non-iphone <laughs> there you go uh next one pete the aforementioned captain noel gardner the opening scene was so good walker is not playing with a full deck the we could have been a team line was peak delusion mm-hmm. he's been following sam and bucky the whole time he needs them they don't need him i love that the show takes time to breathe and tie up some things Bucky finding Zemo and turning him over to the Wakandans, though I do think taking him to the raft spells Thunderbolts. Sam visiting Isaiah was great. Carl Lumbly knocked it out of the park again. Uh, Pete, let me pause Noel's words for a second here. I found myself realizing that probably Carl Lumbly filmed this stuff before he was in God Friended Me Season 2, which concluded, what, the spring of last year? Mm-hmm. which would have been shot in January, February of 2020. So that's just insane. You know, I understand yeah. the whole delay in release and whatnot, but it's like, holy cow, we saw this guy a year ago on TV, and now I we're seeing the work quiet. he did before. Yeah. Yeah. Carl Lumbly is the man. Back to Noel here. The cameo was nowhere on my list of suspects, and I need more info on this character. The time at the Wilson house with Sam and Bucky was needed and so enjoyable, giving them a chance to bond on a personal level. I'm so confused about Sharon. At this point, she could be a triple agent working for Mephisto. Pete, great minds think alike. Um... And then uh, Noel says, the mid-credits scene, bootleg cap is making a bootleg shield, facepalm emoji. This is not going to end well for him. Also, lying to Lamar's parents was bad. Awful. Uh, we heard from at BikeBRH on Twitter. Four stars. I love this episode. But I'm going to drop a turd in the punch bowl as regards to the season as a whole. Don't the Flag Smashers seem way too white? You'd think that if people moved during the blip to find opportunity, they would have included a lot of South Asians and Africans. Um, an interesting question, Pete. I think that... Dovich has definitely got some Asian uh, heritage. Um I think we were meant to get a little bit of European out of, uh, it wasn't Matthias. He was the one who died. We, we finally got them named in this episode. That is the, is the thing too. Um, cause their names had not been spoken, but you know, between Mama Donia and whether or not she was flag smasher proper or somebody who was just influential in them, being founded uh is important to understand that she's linked to them um but where are my list of names here well while you're looking that up i'll just add um i'll add if it's any consolation to bike brh uh aaron kellyman of course of a mixed race background i guess i i concede bike BRH's point that maybe it's not the most global of teams that we've seen in terms of the upfront speaking roles. And if that's a if that's a thumbs down to the show, okay, so be it. If that's a decision to maybe to have the show as a whole, you know, you have obviously some major uh, African American characters uh, and people, uh, let's say African American and, and uh, Latino. Um, already represented so you're now as you said pete dovidge with the asian background and kind of um spreading things around from there yeah. um nico was the the big captain america fan um 
I think it works. I, I think more diversity certainly, you know, welcome. Uh, but I, I think given in particular Aaron Kellyman and, you know, that you've got a woman leading them, that you've got a, a woman of several different backgrounds and then throwing us some French in this episode too. I, I think they, they still are that melting pot. Um, and again, I don't want to stray away from ultimately agreeing with the comment here. I'll, I'll point out maybe we could kind of like in head cannon with the borderless situation and with Wakanda more open are possibly displaced, uh, Africans drawn to Wakanda uh, again I think that I think I think my proposition is a good one I think is it maybe verbal gymnastics to excuse the lack of uh, people of an African background in the flag smashers it, it might be stretching things a bit so I, I guess what I'm arguing for is my thought alongside of bike BRH's thought not not in place of uh, moving on, Pete. Oh my goodness, J.T. Atkins has zeroed in here on one of the truest truths of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I hope you're sitting down, Pete. J.T. said, that's at J.T.A. is me. J.T. says, John Walker can't be redeemed. You know why, Pete? You want to guess what J.T. is going to say? I've seen a comment, but okay. I, I recognize it before. He was welding. He's welding. Uh, he's welding. He's, yeah. He's clearly Hydra now. Hashtag not my Captain Hydra. Um... We heard from AV Seal, that's uh, at uh, the AV Seal, stoked for trash can uh, cap fight in episode six. <laughs> uh, of course, a reference to the first Avenger with the, uh, the trash can-esque shield. Um, we heard from Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Polo in 1983. I needed this episode to be two hours, a lot of emotion and setup for the finale. It's early, so I won't spoil anything, but several moments in this episode had me both cheering and sobbing. Great writing. Um, I think uh, Andre's words, you know, totally agree there. Um, and then, uh, Spider-Ham Lincoln in response to Andre, that's, uh, Tess LC139 concerning spoilers, you know, re spoilers concerning spoilers. My take is if anyone is reading these tweets, they should expect spoilers. I couldn't help myself, but be appreciated with your restraint. Next, uh, bunch of tweets here is from J Philly B that's at J Philly B for fandom. Seeing the effect the serum has on Walker makes me realize we've only been told how great he was. We've never seen it. Stories can be manipulated, like Walker's story to Lamar's parents. Look on Lamar's sister's face. She wasn't buying it. It makes you wonder what else she knows about Walker. Also, who is the Contessa? Whoever she is, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is a welcome addition to the Marvel cast. Sharon hiring Batrock. Is she doing it to set Carly up or to help Carly? Uh, it feels like there's a double cross coming soon with that team up. Also feels like Sharon is the power broker more and more. Loving the dynamic, growing dynamic between Sam and Bucky. Hate that it means Yuri's heartbreak is coming soon, but Sam was right and Bucky knows it. Also, how did I not get the Uncle Sam connection until this episode? I'd be surprised if this was the last we see Zemo, but won't be disappointed if he shows up in Wakanda in the future. And last thought, what was with all the slow-mo shots? If I have one nit to pick, it would be uh, that would be it with so much slow-mo. And finally, Isaiah, the heart and emotion of that scene, I don't have the words. Another fantastic episode, the PH. We'll be sorry to see it end next week. 
Uh, we heard from Alicia, that's at Flip Flops R2 Shuzz, which is maybe the best Twitter name ever. Uh, really love this episode. Clearly where Walker is headed for some sort of uh, villain arc. It reminded me of what Ultron and Zemo reiterated, men of peace create weapons of war. This idea that you create your enemy, especially when you are trying to hold onto or cultivate power. And it's really disheartening that it seems like Sharon is either the power broker or working for the power broker. What did she need the guy uh, Batrock? Uh, what did she, why did she need the guy Batrock was capturing in episode one? Is she trying to draw out Carly? Really love the slower pace of Sam and Bucky in this episode. Sam's conversation with Eli was wonderful and really helped inform why Sam may have given up the shield in the first place. Uh, we also heard from Nathan Nolan Edwards. It's at Nolan Edwards. I want Sam and Bucky to hug and say I love you by the end of next week. Pete, it would be a beautiful moment if they do that. Uh, we heard from Winter Falcon. That's at K-C-L-Y-L-E-1. This was, as always, fantastic. With a PH. After crushing the opening fight, the boat stuff was sort of slow. Uh, but in my opinion, it needed to help build the relationship between Bucky and Sam outside of Avengering. After waiting patiently for Sharon, I don't think I like where they're going with her. Hopefully it results in her staying in the MCU after the show. I'm guessing at the end, Sam is looking at the cap wings, maybe made of vibranium. I was kind of shocked. Faux cap was able to rip them off so easily. Can't wait for the finale, but I hate to see it go. Pete, I will defend uh, Cap America ripping those arms off. Let's not forget. Yes, it is super stealth tech, um, but it is kind of run-of-the-mill high-end military tech it's not stark tech it's not wakandan tech it's not space tech and so forth and he still needed super serum to be able to do it so it all tracks next tweet up here is from jackie wolf is there any chance at all that the black panther suit is in sam's suitcase um uh, pete i would bet not but um i think i think there's possibilities also uh, one of the replies there from hail hydra may be from a toy design taken from disney that maybe they didn't want out as soon as they had out. <laughs> i'm just gonna throw that out there um uh we heard squarely from spider ham lincoln uh apologies for the length as expected another great chapter uh pete i think spider ham lincoln is talking about uh the episode as opposed to his feedback but i'm sure his feedback is a great chapter as well Walker's cowardly escape was just sad. He's obviously a very disturbed man, and his transformation to villainy is looming. His lie to Lamar's parents dishonored his friend's memory. I don't see any redemption for this man who's now been shunned by the government that quote-unquote built him. The mid-credits scene was monumental on so many levels. Julia Louis-Dreyfus was a welcome surprise as the non-framework and yet unnamed Madame Hydra. Obviously, she's Mephisto in disguise. Uh, he, he says in brackets, so I think part of the Mephisto joke there. In the comics, Fontaine has an interesting secret invasion connection. Uh, well, we also see her in this summer's Black Widow. I'm kind of glad we didn't see or Old a Man Secret Cap. Invasion movie movie uh, show coming forward. There you go. I'm kind of glad we didn't see Old Man Cap or Patch or some other major Marvel uh, cameo. Let Falcon and the Winter Soldier be its own wonderful thing. Maybe a cameo in a mid or end credit scene would be more appropriate. Uh, Pete, he's referring to the good theory that the that the um, that the cameo would have been patched, which was one of the names Wolverine took. I agree with his sentiment that that would just make this entire season then about you know Wolverine and the X Men are here. Um, 
but it would be pretty awesome if they just were like, oh, didn't you know? We secretly cast so-and-so as Wolverine. Here he is. So I'm going to re-up on that theory for, for, for next week. Um, but back to Spider-Ham Lincoln's words here. The initial fantastic fight scene aside, I really enjoyed the continual character building in episode five. The scenes with Sarah and Isaiah were especially poignant. Sam and Bucky really do make a great team despite their differences. All the mysterious Sharon, Ca- Sharon Carter plot deepens. What is her connection to it all, and why is she providing Batroc's services to Carly and the Flag Smashers? Will the real Sharon Carter please stand up? I don't suspect we're done with Zemo, and something tells me Fontaine may share a scene with Zemo soon, possibly at the raft. That would be fun. Uh, and then Spider-Ham Lincoln concludes by saying, I suspect we're in for a wonderful finale next week. Is Sam the new Cap? Is Torres the new Falcon? Is Bucky the new Battlestar? Just kidding. <laughs> Looking forward to another fantastic podcast. Matt and Pete are the best at what they do. Oh, that's kind. As we start to wrap up Twitter comments, we hear from Wear a Damn Mask, that's at Nick Sin DT, uh, who says, Having watched WandaVision and now episode five of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I'm left thinking that a couple of MCU movies should have been a six hour series like these. Iron Man 3's exploration of Tony's psyche works better long form. Black Widow pre Iron Man 2 would have been really cool. Uh, We heard from Darren Bell. That's at Darren B4605205. Really enjoyed the episode. Great fight scene at the beginning, but really liked the slower paced story building. Did anyone else think Sharon was getting Batrock released from prison, or was it just me? On second watch, it's quite clearly Batrock. Um, And then there's the little discussion there from Jackie Wolf about how the closed captioning said it was him on the phone. Uh, and then Pete, we heard from John Calabrese. That's at WM Lawman. Great episode. Love how they took the time to breathe in preparation for the finale. I don't know who the Countess is, but sign me up for a uh, whole show following her. I want some blank business cards now. And uh, he said uh, that he can't wait to listen to the podcast, Pete, of which he is now a part. He's listening to it right now. It's all connected. Pete, what feedback do you have? Over on Facebook, Matt, Kyle Roath writes in, anyone that has seen Captain America Winter Soldier would agree that John Walker wouldn't stand a chance against Bucky, let alone two seasoned Avengers. Although this episode wasn't the most eventful of the season, it sure showed Sam finding himself. I just realized Ashton Kutcher's alter ego in Two and a Half Men was also Sam Wilson. (laughs) How are we leading into the final episode and still don't know who the power broker is other than the obvious? They sure were able to get his Falcon suit fixed up fast. But what about Red Wing? I did not get a good look at what weapons were in Batroc's suitcase, but they sure look like hand grenades from Star Wars crossover. (laughs) Some thermal detonators there. Uh, finally, the end credits. Vibranium is stronger than steel, but one-third the weight. I don't think John Walker has vibranium. His Mickey Mouse shield will be weak, <laughs> heavy, and won't pong against objects like the real deal. Until next week, stay fantastic with the PH. He adds, Matt, sorry, forgot to mention, when Sam opens the suitcase at the end, better bet it's uh, a Wakandan version of the cap suit with tech 
not a Falcon suit. Matt, I will add, I ran a, uh, a poll on Twitter and, uh, Twitter's had some issues the last couple days. I don't know if, if you've been on the receiving end of any of those, uh, the votes weren't recording for a little bit and then I wasn't able to see them, but I asked what's in the box and the choices were Wakandan flight suit that earned far away the most votes, 55%. Uh, the next choice was Red Wing 2.0, um, then Steve Rogers, then Mephisto. Mephisto, of course, Matt, was second with 19%, but right behind it was Red Wing 2.0. Strangely, people don't think Steve Rogers is in the box, only 8%. I wish you could add a fifth. Uh, I clearly would have put uh, Reed Richards, the um, the aeronautic engineer from uh, WandaVision. <laughs> uh, I would agree that Twitter has been a little funny lately. Uh, also, oddly, quieter lately the last couple of months, too. But that's a different story. Um, so, yeah, sometimes sometimes the tech we rely on can be a little, uh, I don't, a, a little fickle. But uh, it all works out in the end, I suppose. Pete, any other feedback there? Steve Adams writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. This episode was very emotional and compelling. My favorite moment was watching Sam's nephew trace the star on the shield with his finger. Such a simple shot filled with hope. Very well done. I cannot wait for the finale until next week. Stay fantastic with the PH. Yes. Over to the uh, Fantastic Geek podcasting pop culture feed on apple podcast matt where kavonsky has written in it's weird uh it wouldn't recommend this podcast to me when i've literally followed the other ones as they pop up search pop culture and it wouldn't come up until i searched fantastic with a ph finally i won't miss anything you guys do so kavonsky had written in last week on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier podcast feed by Fantastic Geek that he wished we had everything we did under one umbrella feed. And on Apple Podcasts, that's the pop culture podcast by Fantastic Geek. Uh, Pete, I think the genius of you suggesting Fantastic with a PH all all way back when is, uh, to my knowledge, (laughs) we're the only ones spelling it like that. So if you search Mm -hmm. for certainly fantastic with a ph but fantastic geek i think we have the market cornered on that uh certainly on itunes and so forth so uh yeah a sure way to to join all our adventures and of course pete our adventures kept aloft not by wakandan wings but by everyone who has gone to patreon.com slash fantastic geek pete there is again fantastic geek uh to Keep the podcast listener-supported. Keep things up and running. Uh, even as technology sometimes uh, bristles and bubbles and whatnot, uh, they, are the, uh, they are the wind beneath our wings. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content, early listens, or something else you can only find there. Can't contribute right now? Get yourself to Apple Podcast to any of our feeds. Leave us a rating in seconds. Help us counteract a couple drive-by one-star reviews. Nonsense. And honestly, uh, Pete, let, let, let's anybody who's anybody who's still listening is a fantastic geek fan to the core. Here's the bottom line. Here's the truth of the matter. 
uh, people are going to hear how we started the podcast. Some people who are not long-term fans are going to hear how we started the podcast in support of Ryan Coogler, in support of equal voting rights, uh, in support of stopping Jim Crow laws. Uh, and they're going to think that somehow a major victory will be to give us a one star on Apple Podcasts. We which... got a one star back with Avengers Endgame when we had the conversation about Sam receiving the shield then. So it's completely predictable that somebody's going to pop off. And you know what? That is your right. You choose to do that. That's your right. We choose to rally people against us, or against us, against that in support of us. Well, that's our right. Absolutely. And that that support on Apple Podcasts, certainly appreciated. Uh, and as you say each week, Pete, it's another way to support us, particularly in these times where, you know, it still is the weird, crazy, scary COVID times. Not everybody is, you know, back to work the way they'd like to be and so forth. So the, the support, sometimes financial, the support sometimes with some stars and some words on Apple Podcasts. Support nonetheless. Well, Pete, we'll keep the conversation going for next week. Of course, reminder for the newer listeners, we're going to have uh, a season wrap in two weeks' time. So plenty of time to keep the conversation going. Pete, how can people be in touch with you to talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,917 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, that will wrap things up for this week. Back here this time next week to talk about the season. I won't even consider a series finale for Falcon the Winter Soldier Season 1 next week. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Sometimes there's nothing to do until there's something to do.